0: Chapter One of the Garden of Eden. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Richard Kilmer, Rio Medina, Texas. The Garden of Eden by Max Brand. Chapter One By careful tailoring, the broad shoulders of Ben Connor were made to appear fashionably slender, and he disguised the depth of his chest by a stoop whose model slouched along Broadway somewhere between sunset and dawn. He wore, moreover, the first or second pair of spats that had ever stepped off the train at Lucan Junction, a glowing Scotch tweed and a Panama hat of the color and weave of fine old linen. There was a skeleton at this feast of fashion, however, for only tight gloves could make the stubby fingers and broad palms of Connor presentable. At ninety-five in the shade, gloves were out of the question, so he held a pair of yellow chamois in one hand and in the other an amber-headed cane. This was the end of the little spur line, and while the train backed off down the track, staggering across the switch, Ben Connor looked after it, leaning upon his cane just forcibly enough to feel the flexion of the wood. This was one of his attitudes of elegance, and when the train was out of sight and only the puffs of white vapor rolled around the shoulder of the hill, he turned to look the town over, having already given Luke Injunction ample time to look over Ben Connor. The little crowd was not through with its survey, but the eye of the imposing stranger abashed it. He had one of those long, somber faces, which Scotchmen call dour. The complexion was sallow, heavy pouches of sleeplessness lay beneath his eyes, and there were ridges beside the corner of his mouth which came from a habitual compression of the lips. Looked at in profile, he seemed to be smiling broadly, so that the gravity of the full face was always surprising. It was this that made the townsfolk look down. After a moment they glanced back at him hastily. Somewhere about the corners of his lips or his eyes there was a glint of interest. A touch of amusement they could not tell which, but from that moment they were willing to forget the clothes and look at the man. While Ben Connor was still enjoying the situation, a rotund fellow bore down on him. You're Mr. Connor, ain't you? You wired for a room in the hotel? "'Come on, then. My rig is over here. These are your grips?' He picked up the suitcase and the soft leather traveling bag and led the way to a buckboard at which stood two down-headed ponies. "'Can't we walk?' suggested Ben Connor, looking up and down the street at the dozen sprawling frame houses. But the fat man stared at him with calm pity. He was so fat and so good-natured that even Ben Connor did not impress him greatly. Maybe you think this is Lucan? he asked. When the other raised his heavy black eyebrows, he explained, this ain't nothing but Lucan Junction. Lucan is clear round the hill. Climb in, Mr. Connor." Connor laid one hand on the back of the seat and, with a surge of his strong shoulders, leaped easily into his place. The fat man noted this with a roll of his little eyes, and then took his own place, the old wagon careening toward him as he mounted the step. He sat with his right foot dangling over the side of the buckboard, and a plump shoulder turned fairly upon his passenger, so that when he spoke he had to throw his head and jerk out the words. But this was apparently his time-honored position in the wagon, and he did not care to vary it for the sake of conversation. A flap of the loose reins set the horse jog-trotting out of Lucan Junction, down a gulch which aimed at the side of an enormous mountain, naked with no sign of a village or even a single shack among its rocks. Other peaks crowded close to the right and left, with loftier ranges behind, running up to scattered summits white with snow and blue with distance. The shadows of the late afternoon were thick as fog in the gulch, and all the lower mountains were already dim, so that snow peaks in the distance seemed as detached and high as clouds. Ben Connor sat with his cane between his knees, and his hands draped over its amber head, and watched those shining places until the fat man heaved his head over his shoulder. "'Most like somebody told you about Townsend's hotel?' His passenger moved his attention from the mountain to his companion. He was so leisurely about it that it seemed he had not heard. "'Yes,' he said, "'I was told of the place.' who said the other expectantly a friend of mine the fat man grunted and worked his head around so far that a great wrinkle rolled up his neck close to his ear he looked into the eye of the stranger me being jack townsend i'm sort of interested to know things like that the ones that like my place and them that don't connor nodded but since he showed no inclination to name his friend jack townsend swung on a new tack to come to the windward of this uncommunicative guest. Lucan was a fairly inquisitive town, and the hotel proprietor usually contributed his due portion and more to the gossips. Some comes for one reason, and some for another, went on Townsend, which generally is to hunt and fish. That ain't funny, come to think of it, because outside of liars nobody ever hooked finer trout than what comes out of the big sandy. Some of comes for the mining. There was a strike over to South Point last week, and some for the cows, but mostly it's the fishing and the hunting. He paused, but having waited in vain, he said directly, I can show you the best holes in the Big Sandy. There was another of those little waits with which, it seemed, the stranger met every remark. Not a thoughtful pause, but rather as though he wondered if it were worth while to make any answer. I've come here for the silence," he said. Silence repeated Townsend, nodding in the manner of one who does not understand. Then he flipped the roan with the butt of his lines and squinted down the gulch, for he felt there might be a double meaning in the last remark. Filled with the gloomy conviction that he was bringing a silent man to his hotel, he gloomily surveyed the mountainsides. There was nothing about them to cheer him. The trees were lost in shadows, and all the slopes seemed quite barren of life. He vented a little burst of anger by yanking at the rein of the off horse, a dirty gray. Giddy up, kitty, damn your eyes. The mare jumped, struck a stone with a forefoot, and stumbled heavily. Townsend straightened her out again with an expert hand and cursed. Of all the no good horses I ever see, he said, inviting the stranger. To share in his just wrath. This kitty is the outbeatingest, no good rascal. Get on, fool. He clapped the reins along her back, and puffed his disgust. And yet she has points. Now I ask you, did you ever see a truer steel dust? Look at that high croup, and that straight rump. Look at them hips, I say, and a chest to match them. But they ain't any heart in her. Take a horse through and through. He went on oracularly, they're pretty much like men, mostly, and if a man ain't got the heart inside, it don't make no difference how big around the chest he measures. Ben Connor leaned forward, studying the mare. Your horse would be all right in her place, he said. Of course, she won't do up here in the mountains. Like any true westerner of the mountain desert, Jack Townsend would far rather have been discovered with his hand in the pocket of another man. Than to be observed, registering surprise. He looked carefully ahead, until his face was straight again. Then he turned. Where do you make out her place to be? he asked carelessly. Down below, said the other, without hesitation. And he waved his arm. Down in soft, sandy, irrigation country, she'd be a fine animal. Jack Townsend blinked. You know her? he asked. The other shook his head. Well, damn my soul, breathed the hotel proprietor. This beats me. Maybe you read a horse's mind, partner. Connor shrugged his shoulders, but Townsend no longer took offense at the taciturnity of his companion. He spoke now in a lower, confiding voice, which indicated an admission of equality. You're right. They said she was good, and she was good. I seen her run. I saddled her up and rode her thirty miles through sand that would have broke the heart of anything but a steel dust, and she comes through without batting an eye. But when I got her up here she didn't do no good. But he reverted suddenly to his original surprise. How'd you know her? Recognize the brand, maybe? By her trot, said the other, and he looked across the hills. They had turned at an angle of the gulch, and on the shelf of level ground. Dishing out from the side of the mountain, stretched the town. Isn't it rather odd, said Connor, for people to build a town over here when they could have it on the railroad? Maybe it looks queer to some, nodded Townsend. He closed his lips firmly, determined to imitate the terseness of his guest. But when he observed with a side glance that Connor would not press the inquiry, talk suddenly overflowed. Indeed, Townsend was a running well of good nature, continually washing all bad temper over the brim. "'I'll show you how it was,' he went on. "'You see that shoulder of the mountain, way off up there? If the light was clearer, you'd be able to make out some old shacks up there, half standing up, half falling down. That's where Lucan used to be. Well, the railroad come along and says, "'We're going to run a spur into the valley here,' You move down and build your town at the end of the track, and we'll give you a hand bringing up new timber for the houses. That's the way with railroads. They want to dictate. They're too used to handling folks back east. That'll let capital walk right over their backs. Here Townsend sent a glance at Connor to see if he stirred under the spur, but there was no sign of irritation. Out here we're different. Nobody can't step in here and run us unless he's asked. See? We said, you build the railroad halfway, and we'll come the other half, but we won't come clear down into the valley. Why? I asked Connor. Isn't Lucan Junction a good place for a village? Fine, none better, but it's the principle of the thing, you see. Them railroad magnates says to us, come all the way, go to the devil, says we, and so we come halfway to the new railroad and build our town. It'll be a pile more agreeable to have Lucan over where the railroad ends. Look at the way I have to drive back and forth for my trade. But just the same, we showed that railroad it couldn't talk us down. He struck his horses savagely with the lines. They sprang from the jog-trot into a canter, and the buckboard went bumping down the main street of Lucan. End of Chapter One